Good morning, everyone. Be turning to John 15, and uh, Lord willing, we will finish this chapter this morning. John chapter 15 is the record of an occasion where Jesus and his apostles have left the upper room where the Lord's Supper was uh, established and where Jesus taught a great lesson when he washed the apostles' feet. When Judas goes out to fulfill his mission, and now they are making their way to Gethsemane and the events that will occur there very shortly. So in chapter 15, as they are making their way, Jesus and his apostles, uh, Jesus is heavy at heart, wanting to remind his apostles of what he has taught because he knew his hour was coming very, very soon. And so we, we have uh, chosen to designate chapter 15 as the chapter of relationships. Jesus is wanting to uh, emphasize different relationships uh, as he is preparing to go to the cross and return to the Father eventually. And we notice that there are three relationships that Jesus uh, discusses with them. The first one being the relationship of believers or Christians to Jesus. And that was in verses 1 through 11. Uh, second, the relationship of the Christian or believers to each other. And that's what we studied last Sunday, verses 12 through 17. And so today we're ready to look at the third relationship, and that is the relationship of the Christian or the believer to the world. So Jesus, each other, and the world. Jesus covers it all and what our relationship should be. And this will be in verses 18 through the end of the chapter, verse 27. So this first relationship, the Christian to Jesus, we notice that... Uh, the primary principle here is the principle of being in Christ, in the true vine, and we discussed that. Uh, we noticed that the uh, second relationship was the one to each other, and we noticed several uh, elements of Christian love uh, in these verses that we covered there. And now as we prepare for uh, the third relationship, Verses 18 through 27, we're going to be looking at our relationship to the world. So I'll begin reading with verse 18, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Jesus is speaking. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. 
But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. The relationship of Christians to the world. We understand how we're supposed to stand before our Lord and be in Christ. We understand how we are to treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ with Christian love. Now, how are we to relate to the world around us? And what an evil and wicked world it is. Seems more and more we just come to that reality in today's world. But then again, hasn't it always been that way through history? Every generation says the youth are going to the dogs, and yet we always come up with some good youth that grow up to be productive adults and, and Christians. It's just a natural cycle while we're here on this earth. Heaven is coming. And sometimes I guess we just want to say, even so come Lord Jesus right now. We're ready. We're ready to leave this world. But as long as we remain in this world, then uh, we've got to be in it, of course, but not of it. And so what is our relationship? Let's look uh, at this, these last few verses that we just read. Uh, Jesus never intended that he should just live in pious isolation but as active contact with the problems of men. That's what Jesus came in the world to do to save sinners. He's, he drew a sharp line between the believers and the world. And between the two is a hostility, which is as deep and as inevitable as their nature. It is a hostility which goes back to the enmity between the carnal mind, and God. So notice in verse 18, Jesus, in stating the attitude of the world, carefully warns the disciples of the hatred because he did not want them to be disillusioned when they met it, and meet it they would very soon. If you look in verse 18, um, I understand that the Greek construction here in the language implies the actuality of the hatred. In other words, it wasn't hypothetical, it was real hatred. And it just seems more and more that we see hatred in our world today. So many parallels here. Just pure hatred. 
And such is the world that we live in. But Jesus tried to comfort the disciples by assuring them that he shared with them everything that the world would heap upon them in the days to come. And then in verses 19 through 25, I see three reasons that Jesus gives for the world's hostility. Three reasons why the world hates Christ and hates believers and hates Christians. Let's look at them one by one. These three differences, just in a nutshell, first of all, is the difference in nature between the world and Christians. And second reason for the world's hostility is the disciples' close association with the rejected Christ. And the third reason for the world's hatred is the conviction of sin which Jesus' message brought upon the world. So let's look at them one by one. In verse 19, he mentions, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, therefore, the world hates you. It seems, doesn't it, that uh, throughout nature there is a uh, tendency to dislike any individual that differs from the status quo or the average type. But listen, consider this, that the very fact that Jesus has chosen men out of the world places them in a different category from others. And that's that's just the way it is. Uh, It's automatic. If we are in Christ, then that makes us uh, different in every way from the world. We're going to be different. If we try to blend in as true Christians, it's not going to work. We're not going to blend in. We're going to stick out like a sore thumb. But yet this is the world that we live in until we die or until Christ comes again. And so the world doesn't understand us. It doesn't understand our motives They don't feel comfortable in our company as Christians. So that's one reason for the world's hatred is the difference between our natures, the nature of Christians, those of us in Christ, and those in the world, a different nature diametrically. But then the second reason why the world hates us is in verses 20 through 21, and that is the disciples' close association with the rejected Christ. Now, as far as Christ is concerned, he knew all things. When he left heaven and gave up equality with God in order to do so, he came to this world as in the form of man as a bondservant, and he was obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. He knew what he was coming. For he knew all that he was accepting as he left heaven. And so he accepted the hatred of the world as a matter of course. It was inevitable. But Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that they also must, sometimes in crude language as we hear today, just suck it up, accept it, 
That's the way it is. It's not going to be otherwise. If we live in Christ and we walk in the light, then we're going to be hated. We're going to be hated by the world. And we don't like to be hated. But it's a fact. So Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that they must accept it also. Notice about uh, three scriptures in this regard that helps illuminate this reason for the world's hatred. The first is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. 1 John 3, verse 13. There the apostle says, uh, this is, I believe, uh, King James and also New King James. Do not marvel if the world hates you. I like the way the uh, English Standard Version translates it. It said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It's going to come, as we've said, as Jesus says. So, don't be surprised. Accept it. And then another is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4. And this is talking to those who came out of the world in accepting Christ and in obeying Christ, obeying the gospel. It begins in verse 3, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regards to these, now notice, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. What's wrong with you? Are you why are you so holier than thou now? You think you're better than us? What happened? Yeah, yeah, you, th you just think that you're a little bit above us, don't you? Well, don't be surprised at that attitude. It's not that we are seeking to just stand out in contrast uh, and be different. It's just the way it is. We are different. And they don't understand it. And they don't like it. Especially if you came out of them in obedience to the gospel. They want you to come back in their fold. And they resist joining you. I like uh, Brother Mazzalongo's summary of these uh, verses. Verses 18 through 20. Uh, these uh, scriptures that we've just read. His uh, summary as applied to us today is thus. The world will hate us. The world will reject us. The world will not recognize us. The world will persecute us. The world will not obey the word. And so our very nature and our close association with Christ as the rejected Savior are reasons why the world hates us. But then the third reason why the world hates believers or Christians, and uh, this one really stands out, and that is the conviction of sin, which Jesus' message brought upon the world. 
Notice again verses 22 through 25. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done the, among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. I believe the chief reason for the hatred of the world was Jesus' exposure of its sin. In my where my recliner is in, in our house, uh, it sits right next to a window, and it catches the morning sun. And uh, on the other side, I'm looking straight down the hall to the living room. And in the mornings, when the sun comes up, and I'm sitting there, and that sun first begins to come up in its brightness, and it shines through the window, and it shines down the hall. I see all the dust that has come back since the last time I vacuumed it. The light just reveals it. There it is. And so just as the clear sunlight reveals the stains and flaws which escape notice in lesser light, so Jesus' presence revealed, by contrast, the darkness of the world's sins. Exposure. Calling it for what it is. You're in sin. If you look at verses 22 and 24, the two clauses here describe the effect of Jesus on the world. And in verse 22, it's the word, words, my words, and in verse 24, it is my deeds, the works that I did while among them. And so the words and deeds of Jesus in verses 22 and 24 showed by contrast how evil man had become. And so Jesus' presence made their sin deliberate and inexcusable. Ignorance could no longer hide their guilt. Jesus, the light, has now come. You might recall way back in chapter 3 of John, verse 19, Jesus said, And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That is why the world hates us. Because our very presence, if we are in Christ and the light of Christ is shining in our lives before others, our very presence exposes the sin of the world. And they don't like it. They hate it. They hate us. It's interesting in verse 25 that he refers to their law. This happened to them that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Uh, I believe that this stresses the inordinate uh, regard the priest had for the external features of the law of Moses. 
There was the spirit of the law, and then, of course, in the law of Moses, there were a number of external features. And they had a purpose in God's great scheme of things, but they were rigid. And it seems that the priest uh, zeroed in on the externals to an excessive degree, overlooking the spirit that God implanted within it. And so this was their law in the sense of the affectionate regard they professed for it while actually denying it by their sinful conduct. Hypocrites, as Jesus would often call them. So much attention to the outward manifestation of the law and being righteous and pious when just like a tomb beside, behind the whitewashed tombstone is, is rot and decay, sin. It says that they hated me without a cause. Well, it, they persecuted, they hated uh, Jesus without reason for the Gentiles because they have a witness through creation. Romans 1, verses 18 through 20, the Apostle Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, the Gentiles. So the Gentiles are without excuse as they hate us. And the Jews are without a cause because, as Jesus says here, he was among them teaching and doing miracles for three years, and yet they disbelieved as a whole. I believe that we see uh, two Antidotes. Oh, by the way, uh, let me go back up real quick to where I was talking about the uh, second reason for their hatred of us, and that is the disciples' close relationship with their rejected Christ. And we read from 1 John 3, don't be surprised, do not marvel if the world hates you. And then 1 Peter 4, where it talks about that uh, they think that they don't understand you're not following them anymore. I meant to also include 1 John 4, uh, verses 4 through 5. Every time I write in something after I type it, I overlook it, and I did. But I do want to go back there and read that. 1 John 4. Verses 4 through 5. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak, therefore they speak, uh, uh, speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God 
hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the fruit of the truth and the spirit of error. And I think that it, that principle in, in that verse is very important. If we can just remember while we are coping with this hatred in the world as Christians, that uh, we have God living within us. The Bible speaks of God living within us. The Bible speaks of his word living in us. And the Bible speaks of his Holy Spirit living within us. The Godhead is within us. Therefore, he, God Almighty, who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, we can do it. We, we can do it. We can cope with the hatred of the world. It's going to come, but we know that with God, we are in the majority. And we will overcome. Well, I hated to digress and go back up there, but that was so important, I, I just had to go back and, and bring that in. But then we come to the uh, last two verses of the chapter, verses uh, 26 and 27. And he speaks of the Holy Spirit again as being the helper or the comforter. And uh, in John 15, 16, and 17, he is talking quite a bit about the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send after he uh, ascends back to the Father, which that happened on the day of Pentecost, as the apostles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, were able to do miracles. Uh, the church was established in Acts chapter 2, and those who heard and believed and repented and were baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins in Acts 2.38, they received salvation. God added them to his church. And they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, here again, in these last two verses, he's speaking about the Spirit. And in terms of being a witness of Christ, you might say that uh, there are two antidotes to the attitude of the world stated in these two verses. The first is witness of the Spirit. And this is a powerful witness because the Holy Spirit comes with supernatural insight and conviction to demonstrate the reality of the unseen Father. And we don't have the miracles as they did in the first century. They haven't come and served their purpose and then passed away. But the Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives, doing what God intended for it to do. We might not understand all that it does, but I have faith that uh, he's in me and he is working. And so the first antidote, we might say, to the attitude of the world that we've been talking about is the witness of the Holy Spirit. We let our light shine before men. We are good leaven and we are the salt of the earth. We are a light set on a hill that cannot be hid. 
And so the witness of the Spirit is powerful. But then there is the witness of the believers. And that is powerful because it presents the unanswerable argument of transformed lives. Look at the apostles. They were human. They were special or else Jesus would not have chosen them. He saw in them potential to be the ones to carry on his work after he returns to the Father. But look at them in their humanity. Uh, they were fickle. Uh, they were shallow at times. There in the upper room, it showed their jealousies one to another, not wanting to stoop to the level of doing a servant's job of washing each other's feet before they had the meal. Uh, there at the cross a little bit later on, abandoning Jesus in the garden. Peter cursing, and I don't know the man. And yet, look at Peter just a short time later in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Look at him speaking to the people who had witnessed the phenomenal things that were going on. Look at Peter later on. Unto him was given the, the keys of the kingdom, and he opened up the door of salvation in that sermon. Men and brethren, what must we do? They already had faith and believed, or else they wouldn't have asked the question. Peter told them, Peter told them what they still needed to do. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And Peter goes on. I think tradition has it that he eventually was crucified and upside down so that he wouldn't take the place of Jesus or have a resemblance of Jesus' crucifixion. That's tradition. But the point I'm making is, look at transformed lives. This band of uh, fishermen, a tax collector, uh, just a, an unlikely group of men. But look at them after on this side of the cross. Transformed lives. And... We have that same thing today and it will always until Christ comes again. Our lives are transformed. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 12. Be not trans be transformed by the world, but be conformed unto him. We are to be transformed, and we are. I've seen it. Um, Maybe I've mentioned this before, but years ago when Kay and I were at Harding uh, in a special program uh, on the campus there called the Christian Communications Program, it was essentially a preacher training school on the campus of Harding College. And so we had the Bible faculty and access to the library there. It was a special group of 
uh, men. They had 28 in the alpha class. We were the guinea pigs. And uh, the minimum age was 21 years old. So this, this is not immature freshman, college freshman. But mature men, most of us were already married at the time and with children. And during the two years that we were there, we saw several transformed lives. We, we saw some of the men in that class who had really been in the world. If they confided in you and kind of let you in on life before Christ, uh, you understood where they were coming from. But to see them now, standing before people proclaiming the gospel of Christ, uh, choosing a way of life that in no way matched what they were earning in the world before they became Christians in their occupations, transformed lives. And that speaks volumes. Especially to people, you know, as Peter said, you know, if you came out from them and now you're a Christian, they what say, what happened to you? Why aren't you with us anymore? Why aren't you associating with us anymore? Why aren't you doing the things that we were doing anymore? Well, it's because they've been transformed. So, that is the other witness. I think Jesus expected that the Holy Spirit and his disciples, his children, Christians, through whom he would work, would re, or would maintain the words and the deeds that Jesus had begun. And so thus, uh, John has revealed to us in this 15th chapter what Jesus wanted us to know about relationships, to understand how that life is in the true vine, that the whole matter of being in Christ and all that it entails and all that it gives is there for us to understand and then to understand our relationship one with the other. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love, sacrificial love, agape love for one another. And then finally, our relationship to the world. Don't be surprised. Expect it. You're going to be hated. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be persecuted. And that's just the way it is. And so on we go with our Lord, our God, living and working within us as we allow him to in transform lives before an evil and corrupt world. Brethren, the world needs us. If ever the world is going to change in any way for better, it's going to be through righteousness. People turning to God. Christians living Christian lives in the world and letting their light shine and walking in the light as he is in the light. And to that end, uh, may God bless us. Thank you. I think Mark has chapter 16 beginning next Sunday.